Hey, Scott Walker here on our uh, podcast, You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks so much for joining us. The big winner in this week's debate in Nevada, the Democrats, President Donald Trump. We got a lot to talk about. The debate, uh, the caucuses coming up in Nevada, uh, coming up on Saturday. Uh, We've got the following week, South Carolina. We've got the debate, Bloomberg finally in the mix. Uh, We've got the rallies with the president, all sorts of other action. And of course, over the last few weeks, we've had Chaos in Iowa with the app that didn't work and the DNC's ongoing problems. And, of course, uh, the election uh, in the primary in New Hampshire last week, a week ago Tuesday. Uh, All this happening while we've been on the road the last few weeks. In fact, uh, Tonette and I and our sons Matt and Alex went on a cruise with Cruise and Tour. Uh, In fact, I encourage you to check it out in the future, cruise-tour.com. We were just in Hawaii. It was the first time we've ever been on a cruise. They t- handled everything. We spent three days in Waikiki Beach and then cruised the Hawaiian Islands. Everything was included. It was worry-free. It was excellent. And uh, we just announced that we're going to be going next year. Our trip with Cruise and Tour is going to be uh, in South America, from Buenos Aires to Rio de Janeiro. Uh, it's actually cheaper than the trip to Hawaii was uh, this January. So next January, starting January 7th, check it out. Um, we're going to see you know, the incredible statue of Christ uh, in Rio. We're going to learn the tango. We've got all sorts of excursions that are part of the trip. Uh, we've got just a really great time, and uh, I hope you'll check it out, cruise-tour.com. Anyway, enough of that. I, I, I love the trip. Loved the, the, most of all, we just love the people. We made lifelong friends, uh, something we're really looking forward to continuing next year. And, and uh, I, I know that's something that people like Mark Belling and Jay Weber and Dan O'Donnell and others have done, and others across the country, but we had no idea how cool the people would be, as well as the amazing attractions. But the big news, of course, is this week, Bloomberg gets in the debate. So what does this all mean? Well, clearly he was the big loser. Everyone was aiming to take him on, and it's kind of like putting in a uh, somebody who just recruited to play on your team who's never had any playing time this season. Uh, of course, he was not at all going to be prepared uh, for the onslaught of attacks that came to him in Wednesday night's debate uh, put on by NBC in Nevada and the DNC. But, uh, boy, uh, he, he really looked weak. Uh, some question afterwards why a guy who's got that much money uh, was even bothering to be engaged in the debates. I mean, normally the big reason for being involved in the debate for a candidate, Republican years ago uh, in 2016 or, or now for the Democrats in, in 2020, is you, you want to put on a good performance, you want to rally the forces, and, and hopefully they help you not only organize, but they help raise the money that you're going to need to spend in the next race, and the next race, and then Super Tuesday and all the races thereafter. Bloomberg, of course, doesn't have that problem. He's got an endless amount of money. It's why the strategy he has is quite interesting. Unlike Tom Steyer, who, who spent and begged and blew it in places like New Hampshire. I remember Governor Sununu, my friend, telling me that that the one thing he was certain of is that young people were sick and tired of Tom Steyer because he was spending so much money on digital ads every time they opened up their uh, uh, their laptop or iPad to watch something like Netflix. All they saw were ads from Tom Steyer in a state like New Hampshire where retail is king, where people want to see you face-to-face buying an election on TV ads and increasingly on digital ads it had the opposite effect. It actually ticked people off, which is why Steyer is, after all that money, it's a huge waste, a huge loss of return on investment. 
uh, unlike Steyer, though, Bloomberg had a strategy that was somewhat like a, another former uh, uh, mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. Remember, years ago in 2008, his strategy was to bypass the early states uh, to, uh, to go to Florida in, in hopes that the uh, significant amount of retirees that were in Florida, particularly along the east coast of Florida, uh, along the, the ocean side as opposed to the Gulf side, that those uh, numbers of, of New Yorkers or folks from the tri-state area would somehow play into uh, his strategy of be people who would be favorable towards electing him. Well, the problem is he had no momentum and, and very little money left by the time that all happened. In Bloomer's case, money's not an issue. Uh, he can write out a check as long as he wants. It doesn't matter where he's at in the polls. Although it seems like the ads have actually nationwide, <coughs> excuse me, nationwide have actually helped him in the polls. Uh, he's moved up to be a, a formidable contender for the Democrat nomination. Uh, he is, uh, I think Biden's lucky he's, he's not on the ballot in South Carolina uh, because that's, uh, we'll get back to that in a moment, but Biden desperately needs a win in South Carolina at least at this point, it seems like the only realistic place he's got on the anywhere near on the horizon uh, where he could pick up a win or near win to, to, keep that, uh, to keep that campaign afloat. But Bloomberg was under attack. I think by and large, he did a, a rather poor job. I mean, let's think about it. You, we saw the comments that came out last week as well. Bloomberg said four years ago, talking about uh, changes in the economy, changes when it comes to agriculture and manufacturing. Uh, as the uh, grandson of farmers on my mother's side and the grandson of a machinist on my father's side, I got to tell you personally, probably like a lot of you listening, I was a bit hacked off at Bloomberg. I mean, I, I don't know what was worse, the stunning ignorance, uh, the blissful ignorance he has when it comes to how complicated farming is. Any of you, not only if you're a farmer, but if you live in a state that has any farmers, I, I spent time up until third grade, I lived in Plainfield, Iowa, a small town of about 450. Then moved to Delavan, which is a town of a couple thousand, about 7,000 people. Uh, even though we didn't live on a farm, my mother was raised on a farm. Uh, so I've got plenty of relatives who either have been or continue to be involved in farming and agriculture. Uh, but even for those who haven't, I think particularly here in the Midwest, there's a certain amount of reverence. And over time, we've seen the changes. It's not as simple as putting a seed in the ground. You know, farmers have to be involved in everything from animal science uh, as a veterinarian or, or as someone who knows a bit about veterinary science to geography, uh, to soil management, uh, to GPS mapping, uh, to meteorology and, and understanding the weather and changes, uh, to looking at uh, uh, chemicals and biology, uh, to looking at finance and accounting and international trade commodities. I mean, there's just all sorts of things that today's farmer has to know. I, and over the years when I was governor, we would constantly go to the farm technology days and see the newer and bigger and more amazingly equipped pieces of farm equipment that are out there. Uh, I remember once I was actually in a, well, I've been in a tractor a number of times, but once I was uh, actually helping them plant when a, a group of farmers were helping another group of farmers in another part of the state who had experienced uh, uh, significant drought because of the uh, uh, the warmer than expected temperatures and the lack of rain. Well, these folks in the central part of the state uh, were uh, basically uh, potato and other vegetable farmers. Uh, they had a, an opportunity to open up their farms, and and so I went up to thank them and went in one of the tractors to help plant, and it was amazing. You know, just flip of the switch, 
the GPS stuff, but you got to know how to program all that. You know, it takes a whole lot more gray matter than what Bloomberg talked about. So I didn't know which was worse, the, uh, the amazing ignorance on his part of farming and manufacturing, uh, what's involved as a worker there as well. It's not something, it's not my, certainly not my grandfather's manufacturing anymore. But, but, but at the same time, it's just incredible arrogance uh, and a condescending nature. I, mean, uh, I, I just think this is a guy, I, I just dare the Democrats to nominate him for all the talk about his money. I think with that video alone, uh, it would be a stretch for him to pick up any Midwestern state other than Illinois slash the state of Chicago, as liberal as they are there. But, uh, but anywhere else in the Midwest, again, not only if you're a farmer or a farm family, but just all the people who know farmers and have an interaction with farmers. I guess if you live on the, uh, you know, if you're part of the extreme elite establishment uh, on the coast, uh, maybe you just think your food appears magically in your refrigerator, uh, but for the rest of us understand the process and appreciate uh, those involved in it, uh, that's a big deal what he said. But it was more than just that. You know, the debate, I think, opened up uh, an, another onslaught in terms of attacks on his um, charges of sexism and uh, other issues out there, certainly with, he might say from a business standpoint, that many large corporations have non-disclosure agreements but I think the average voter just doesn't buy that. And they think if you got nothing to hide, then you should have nothing to hide. Uh, free things up. And I think this is going to be a, a, a big, big problem for Bloomberg. But having said that, I think after you get past uh, Saturday's votes in Nevada and next Saturday in South Carolina, uh, the first Tuesday in March, Super Tuesday, uh, Bloomberg is going to do well, mainly because he's got more money than all the rest of them combined. He's making inroads. I think he's eating into kind of the lane that uh, Senator Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, and to a certain degree, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden are in. And that's kind of the, the rational element of the party. If there is something, it's all relative. It's still extremely liberal on most of the issues. But at least the kind of somewhat, somewhat at least pretending to be uh, slightly right of center, uh, or excuse me, slightly left of center, uh, more moderates out there, uh, and and I think you're you're seeing uh, that in contrast to Sanders and Warren, who clearly are on the far, 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 far left of the party, the socialist tilt of the party, and you saw that established the other night as well. Well, I want to talk some more about what happens, whether Warren did enough to save her campaign, whether uh, Biden is completely underwater or he can come back after South Carolina, and whether or not it's going to be a, a wide-open convention just on the block where we're at right here in the city of Milwaukee come this summer. Uh, first, we got to take a quick break. Hey, Scott Walker, back on you. Can't recall Courage, our, our uh, podcast, and today we're all into politics. A big deal coming up. You know, a lot of folks have said if Bloomberg gets any traction, it'll be on Super Tuesday in states like California, which have more delegates in that one state than, than actually twice as many delegates as the first four states combined. So if he were to do well there and a couple of other states, it completely opens things up. I, I think uh, Warren, after a disappointing results in New Hampshire, had to do something aggressive. And clearly, at least for a while, she sustained her campaign with the aggressive uh, kind of approach we expected out of Elizabeth Warren to be fighting in your face, aggressive against Bloomberg and others out there. It still may not be enough to save her because she and Bernie are fighting for the same portion, the same electorate within the Democrat primary voter base. Uh, 
I think right now they're perfectly comfortable with Bernie Sanders. He's he's like a worn pair of shoes. You you know who he is, uh, you know where he's going, and uh, thus far, I don't think to those on the far far left of the party, he's given people reason to push away. In fact, to those folks, they're so liberal and so delusional. I think in their minds, they think that Trump's going to lose no matter what, and so they don't want to have to uh, they don't want to have to settle. Uh, they felt like they settled four years ago. They felt that didn't work out. Uh, the reason that Hillary Clinton didn't win in their mind was because she wasn't liberal enough, not because she was unlikable or had corruption or had all sorts of other issues out there. Um, you know, in their case, they actually just think, you know, put up Bernie and he'll, he'll win. And uh, I do warn a number of my conservative and Republican friends out there and colleagues uh, that just because Bernie is a nut on issues doesn't mean that we should dismiss his candidacy. I remember about a month and a half after the 2016 election, I was at a Kohl's department store uh, getting some stuff before Christmas, and a young man in his uh, probably mid-20s came up to me, and he was kind of hovering, and I thought, well, he's either an employee of Kohl's or or he's a fan. Well, it turned out he was both. Uh, so he asked for a picture. I gladly took a selfie with him, and he said, oh, I love what you've done, and he then proceeded to kind of shock me multiple times over. He he told me he was a fan of mine, and uh, in the same breath, he told me he had voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. Of course, ideologically, that makes no sense. But then it got weirder. He said after after Bernie lost the primaries and, and Hillary Clinton was the nominee, he, he, uh, he looked at everything, and he, he ultimately voted for Donald Trump. Of course, at that point, I, I wanted to take a picture of him. I'm just thinking this makes no sense. But I got to think he's like a lot of other voters out there, and not just young voters. There's voters out there on the bubble. People are up in the air, up for grabs, particularly in states like mine, that, that vote oftentimes on impulse or on their gut. And You know, having a sense of your gut, your instincts, is not a bad thing, as long as you tie it into some rational discussion as well of the issues. In this case, he didn't do that. But, but I got to believe there's a fair number out there. I, I inquired, trying to be careful not to sound... Uh, condescending, but but asked him why, and it was simple. For him, he liked me because I didn't back down. I, I wasn't pushed around by 100,000-plus protesters. I did exactly what I said I was going to do. He liked Bernie because he felt like Bernie didn't look the part, but he didn't care, and he was going to take on the machine both within his own party and in Washington. And then he ultimately voted for Donald Trump because he saw some of the same things. He saw a guy that didn't care about what the media said, didn't, didn't care about the attacks, that didn't deter him, and, and at the end that Donald Trump was committed to draining the swamp. So in each of these instances, what he wanted was authenticity. He wanted people who, who, who were who they were, who were not going to back down, weren't going to change, weren't going to cave in, who were going to do the things they said they were going to do, and, and in doing so would fight for someone like him. And, and so I think that's incredibly important to remember that that in a head-to-head -head race, uh, the one opening out there is if if both candidates, both President Trump and Senator Sanders, appear to be to people like this gentleman I mentioned, authentic. They are who they are. Well, then the battle really becomes down to ideas. So if they they each are fighting for you, they're each willing to take on the machine and the establishment and all the other problems that people hate about Washington, well, then who's got the better approach? I think that's where those of us right of center prevail, and that's where I applaud the president for continuing to push an aggressive agenda, you know, reining in regulations, seeing the economy get better, seeing wages go up, 
Unemployment at a 50-year low. Uh, unemployment the lowest ever recorded for groups like uh, African Americans, uh, uh, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, people with disabilities, veterans out there. I, I think he needs to do even more. I, I would encourage the president to take on other policies like, well, trying to do an executive order. Whether or not it stands or not is disputable, but but I think it would be good for him to come and say simple things like this. Put in an executive order that says that every member of Congress must live under the same laws that they impose on the public as a whole. So whether it's living under Obamacare or any number of other ridiculous requirements and restrictions on small businesses and farmers and ranchers and, and just people in general, I think there, there would be an incredible surge of support for the president and it would fit, it would fit with his efforts to drain the swamp. And so there's a lot at stake out here. I, I think in the coming days, we're going to certainly see in Nevada, uh, increasingly it looks like Bernie Sanders is going to win the caucuses there. If South Carolina fails to be the spot where Joe Biden resuscitates his, his campaign, he's done. If he can't win in South Carolina, he can't win in any other state. And even if he does, it's very likely he'll run out of time and money shortly thereafter. I remember thinking to myself when President Obama uh, was trying to, at least the reports were, was trying to encourage Joe Biden not to run. I thought, well, maybe he's got a personal gripe with him. And now looking back, I I don't know how I missed this, but I, I, I actually think it was the opposite. I actually think he likes and liked before and continues to like Joe Biden because he liked him personally. He knew that Biden couldn't win, and, and he wanted to save him the disgrace of having been one of the few, uh, few former vice presidents who could even get his own party's nomination, nomination, let alone win the presidency. Um, then you look at what else is out there. I, again, I think Mayor Pete and uh, Senator Klobuchar will eat into a little bit of the uh, uh, of the the more moderate, if there is such a thing, wing of the party. But but that is small and not enough to to ride the victory. The only question mark is whether or not Bloomberg can eat into that and then take away enough of the others. Uh, the, uh, maybe not the far, far left, but a, a number of the others, more liberal elements uh, that might be drawn to him because of the ads and his independence and some of the things he's done. Clearly, if you look at his nanny state tactics in terms of uh, sodas and slushies and things like that, you think of his aggressive efforts to take away people's constitutional rights when it comes uh, to protecting yourself, your family, your property. Those are all things that certainly fit in with the far left, but I just seem to think um, the electorate, at least amongst Democrat primary and caucus goers, are going to have a hard time warming up to an old white guy who happens to be a billionaire. But who knows? <laughs> In one of the few good comebacks Bloomberg had the other day, you got to remember that the guy who's the socialist pushing for more socialism happens to be a millionaire with three homes as well. Uh, and so, uh, and, and I love the fact that Bernie's response was, well, one of those is in Washington. And Bloomberg rightfully pointed out, well, that's the problem. Too much entrenched in Washington. Well, lots at stake. We'll keep you posted. I think uh, increasingly we're going to talk more and more in depth about the campaign, what's coming up. Uh, we saw uh, surprisingly good numbers for the president uh, the other day in Wisconsin, a little bit tighter when it comes to states like Michigan in Pennsylvania, but if the president carries the states he carried before, loses Pennsylvania and Michigan, but keeps Wisconsin, uh, he'll be the president for the next four years as well. And so we're going to keep talking about that and plenty more things in the weeks 
ahead all the way up to the DNC convention uh, come this July in Milwaukee, where I'll be adding some commentary not only on our podcast, but on Fox News. And then a month later in Raleigh, North Carolina, where we'll be there as well, and we'll give you all the insights about what's happening. And then back to Wisconsin and the other surrounding battleground states on our way to the election in November of 2020. Until next time, keep fighting for freedom. I'm Scott Walker on on You Can't Recall Courage, our uh, insightful podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.